0: Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. And everybody said, Amen
0: the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. With those words, the book of Revelation comes to a close. It's hard to believe that we've been a little over a year in the study of this great prophetic book. Along the way, we've learned of Jesus' concern for His church. We've seen the rapture of His church, the rise of the Antichrist, the terrible tribulation period and judgments of God, the battle of Armageddon, and much more.
1: So what about what we've learned. And I know we've covered a lot, but what are we going to do with it?
0: I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. As we come today to the last section of chapter 22, the question becomes, so
1: what? Revelation chapter 22 and these latter verses uh, are what I refer to as the so what section of the book of Revelation. Maybe the so what section of the entire Bible. So what?
0: As you'll hear today, Pastor Clay is going to challenge us to ask ourselves that very question in light of what we've discovered in the book of Revelation. How does what we've learned matter? What are we going to do with what we've learned? Will our lives be different as a result of this study? These are questions worth asking ourselves as followers of Jesus. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's message.
1: Fifty-three weeks, and today we come to the end, the last part, the last verses of the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Uh, It has been uh, a long study, I know that, and probably at times a bit arduous, uh, but I pray that it has been profitable I pray that it has been as profitable for you as it has been for me. Because it has been profitable for me. I'll tell you that. It it really has. And I hope that it has been for you as well. Fifty-three weeks is a long time to spend in one book. We've seen a lot. We've covered a lot. Revelation chapter 22 and these latter verses uh, are what I refer to as the so-what section. Of the book of Revelation, maybe the so what section of the entire Bible. So what? So what are we going to do with what we have studied and learned? So what? It's a question I often ask uh, people in general about their spiritual lives. When they tell me, uh, well, I go to church every, every, every week, I, I go to church. Or I, I, I can recite uh, this many books of the Bible. Or, or I've read it this many times through. Or I've been through X number of studies. Small groups. So what? So what difference does it make in your life? How will yours and my life be different as a result of this study? I think that's a fair question to ask. After all that God has said, after all that John has written, after all that you have uh, endured from me, I think that's a fair question to ask. So what? What now? What do we do with it? Revelation chapter 22, verse 6, through the end of... And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John... I am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha And the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. And everybody said, Amen. So what? So what about the information? What about all of this information that we have gathered over the last year? What are we going to do with all of this information that we have learned? So what? Do do we just say, well, uh, okay, good year spent. So what about... What we've learned, and I know we've covered a lot, but what are we going to do with it? So, so what about the, the information that we discovered in the first four chapters of the book uh, sent to the churches in Asia Minor? If you were with us way back then and can remember that. So what about all of what, what are we going to do with all of that? Is cross-culture church going to be a better church as a result of what we learned from those churches? Looking at the, the good that they did and the wrong that they were doing. And are we going to look at that? And are we going to be a better church as a result of that? So what? The church in Ephesus had left their first love. They had, they had lost that, that deep sense of, of passionate, intimate love that they had for Christ when they first came into a relationship with him. Do you, do you remember that feeling? They had lost that. They they had lost that that sense of of urgency to be in his presence and to know him. Are we, as a body of believers, are we going to to look at that and recognize how easy it is, even in our own lives, to miss that and to move into that place in our life where we've just kind of moved away from that that deep, passionate love for God? Are we just going to... Are we just going to ignore that? Or are we going to recognize that that can happen in our lives faster than you and I can even think about it? Are we going to recognize that it actually takes work? That you have to work at, a, at an intimate, passionate love relationship with God. The church in Smyrna was about to face severe persecution. And they were encouraged to be faithful, un. To death are you and i going to be faithful unto death Uh, no matter uh, no matter what comes into our lives no matter what adversity we face no matter what obstacles that come our way as a result of following christ are you and i going to say unto death i'm in this thing i've bought in with christ it's all in for me and nothing else Smyrna was warned that, that in the midst of their persecution, they would be tempted to move away from being faithful to God. Do, you, do y'all know that? What about that feeling about when, when trying times and all that kind of stuff? And how easy it is to just slip back and draw away? In 1519, Hernando Cortez led a small group of men to the new world in search of treasure. Uh, they would face hardships, disease, death. It would be a long and sometimes seemingly impossible journey. Historical accounts record that shortly after landing on the Yucatan Peninsula in what is today Mexico, Cortez ordered the burning of his ships and reportedly afterwards said this, Now we have no ships to retreat to and only God to assist us. I want to ask you a question here today. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and I don't know whether that's everyone in this room or not, but if you have uh, laid claim to that title, have you burned your ships? Have you made that decision that, as I said, I, I'm all in with him, and this is where, this is the direction I'm going, and this is the life I'm going to live? Because let me tell you something. When you make that decision, or if you've made that decision, and you say, this is it, he's the one, I believe it, I understand what his call is on my life, I'm buying in, it's all in, no turning back, no looking back, no, no stopping, it's, it's here, on it's, it's Christ, and I'm following him, and all that goes with that. When, when you make that decision in your life, And all the adversity that comes. Listen, listen, listen. The enemy is against you. The world is against you. Your own flesh is against you. Do you know that? And they're all whispering in your ear. Turn back. It's too hard. It's not worth it. Faithful unto death. Have you burned your ships? Have you said, I'm, I'm in. It, I, don't, I don't know what all comes my way or what adversity I'm going to face. But like Smyrna, I recognize that I've got to buy into this and I've got to be faithful no matter what comes my way. The church of Smyrna had to learn that. Are we going to learn that? Uh, the churches of Pergamum and Thyatira were warned of false teachings and of the danger of moving away from the truth of God's word. Oh, Listen. We could talk about that a while, how, how easy it is to let false teachings come into our lives. Now listen to me, whether it's me standing up here or whether it's a new Bible study that you're, that you're looking at or whether it's a TV preacher that you're listening to or the latest book that you're reading, Christ says to the churches in Pergamon, Thyatira, and to Cross Culture Church, be careful. Make sure that what you're learning lines up with the truth of God's word. The church in Sardis was was warned to wake up. Wake up, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. You're not finished with this thing yet. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Wake up, Sardis. Wake up, followers of Jesus. You're not, I'm not done with you. yet. You're not finished in this journey. And you've kind of become complacent. You've kind of settled into this thing. And come on, Sardis, let's get with it. Come on, cross-culture, let's get with it. Do you hear it? So what about that? Philadelphia was commended for their faithfulness. Laodicea was called lukewarm. Because they were, quite honestly, they were playing with this thing that we call following Christ. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. They were somewhere in the middle, chasing after the things of the world, but still showing up on Sunday. And Jesus, in so many words, said, you make me want to throw up. So what? What about the lessons to the churches? What does it mean to our lives? How does it impact us? So what about all the rest of the stuff? What about the scenes of heaven? What about the, uh, the, the, the judgments and, and the... The, the tribulation and all of that. What about the, the promises? What about the new heaven and the new earth? And, and, and what about the new Jerusalem? What about eternity? So what about all of that stuff? What does it mean for us? So what about the information? Do we, as I said, look at all of that, all that that Christ gave to us, all that, that John wrote, all that we've studied, and do we say, well, that... that That's nice. That was nice. That was a good year. Or do we begin to say, I'm going to apply God's word to my life. No more excuses. I'm actually going to to do this stuff. I'm going to focus more on the eternal than on the temporal. I'm going to try and walk holier. I'm going to try and study harder. I'm going to try and pray longer. I'm going to try and live bolder because This is true, and I know it. What about the information? So what about the anticipation? Boy, it's all over this last chapter, isn't it? In verse verse 6, these things which must shortly take place. In verse 7, and behold, I am coming quickly. Verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly. Verse 20, uh, yes, I am coming quickly. It's the anticipation of the return of Christ. So what? In verse 10, uh, John is told, uh, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. In those days, uh, books weren't a book like we have bound here. They were on scrolls. They were handwritten on parchment paper and they were rolled up on scrolls. And when the scroll was completed it would sometimes be sealed over. The last page, as it was wrapped around the scroll, it would be sealed over. Which meant that it, it, it wasn't for it to be read at this time, that it, it was going to perhaps be sent to someone else or it belonged to someone else, uh, but it was not for this current time. John's told, don't, don't even seal that thing up because the time is now. It applies now. It applies to every single life. Why? Because the last part of verse 10, he says, for the time is near. Now, by the way, uh, verse 11, I should mention that because some people kind of wonder about verse 11. Uh, Verse 11 really applies to that same thing. Uh, Verse 11, let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Obviously, that does not mean that God doesn't want people to change if they're living ungodly lives. That would go against everything he said in this entire book. That would go against the very purpose for him sending his son to be the payment for our sins. Of course, if people are living apart from God, of course, if people are living ungodly lives, God desires for them to come into a relationship with him. No, verse 11 has to be understood in the context of verses 10 and verse 12, which talk about the immediacy of the Lord's return. What verse 11 is really saying is that... When the Lord returns, that it will be so sudden, so unexpected, that, that people won't even have time to think about changing. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in First Corinthians 15. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery, something that's been, been hidden. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, how fast is a flash? In a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So what about the anticipation? Can you imagine how excited John must have been as he penned these words? And, he's, and again and again and again, Jesus is saying, I'm coming quickly, I'm coming quickly, I'm coming quickly. Can you imagine how excited John must have been when he penned these words? Can you imagine what state of anticipation he must have lived his life in? Someone might say, yeah, but he was wrong. These prophecies didn't come true during his lifetime. Jesus didn't come back in John's lifetime. He blew it, did he? Well, listen, keep this in mind. When we talk about the quickness of the Lord's return, keep a few things in mind. Uh, First, keep in mind that time is irrelevant to God. Okay, we count yesterday and today and tomorrow, and, and God speaks in those terms often to communicate to us, but time is irrelevant to God yesterday is just as much a part of, of God's plan as tomorrow, and, and today, it's, it's, it's all, it's irrelevant to God. The Bible puts it this way in Second Peter chapter 3. Maybe you've seen this before. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. It's just, it's just God and His plan. So keep in mind, first, when we talk about when God says quickly, time is irrelevant to Him. Also, keep in mind that from John's perspective in the whole scheme of human history, when John wrote the Revelation, it was nearing the end. John wrote at the beginning of what's known as the church age. That's the age that you and I live in now. We are in the church age. The the body of believers are still here. We're still gathered. We're still meeting. We're still uh, taking, hopefully, his... his uh, uh, message to the world around us, this is the church age. But in the whole scheme of of human history, the church age is the last age before all of this in the book of Revelation takes place. So uh, in in that sense, when John wrote it, he was writing in the very end, in the end of days. Uh, Finally, keep this in mind. Once all of this starts, it will all occur in relatively quick order when the rapture of the church occurs and, and the Antichrist comes to power and the treaty is signed between Israel and the Antichrist and, and the seven-year tribulation and the battle of Armageddon and the, so on and so on, all of these things will happen in fairly successive order, fairly rapid order. So uh, when, when, he, when, he, when he refers to it being quickly, it, in a sense, it will happen rather quickly once it all begins. So what about the anticipation? Was God wrong to have John to live in a state of anticipation? Is God wrong to ask you and me to live in a state of anticipation of his coming? No, because again, it keeps me more eternally focused than it does worldly focused. Now, I, I, listen, I, I don't know when Jesus is coming back, all right? I know there are some people that think they figured it out, and, I, and I'll just tell you, I don't know. I think it's soon. I really do. I, and I, It's not just a gut feeling. I, I just... It just senses, it lines up with Scripture. I think Christ is coming back uh, pretty soon. But uh, Teresa McKenna sent me an article this week uh, that there's a group that actually has dated the date he's coming back, and it's pretty soon, just so y'all will know, May 21st. Have y'all seen this? It's, it was on WRAL's uh, website. I don't know where they actually ran an article uh, on the news about it. End of days in May, Christian group spreads the word. Uh, this girl, I think, is in Raleigh. And her car, she had her car wrapped talking about the return of Christ and stuff. I, I haven't seen the car, and I haven't seen, apparently, there's billboards all over the place and everything. It says, um, um, uh, Marie Exley is her name. She's part of a movement of Christians loosely organized by radio broadcasts and websites, independent of churches, and convinced by their reading of the Bible that the end of the world will begin May twenty first, two 2011. That's a Saturday. I already looked it up. Y'all going to think I'm crazy? I put it in my calendar. I did. I put a qu- rapture question mark. That's what I put. I did. And I put, I put an alarm for 7 a.m. And I don't know why 7 a.m., but I put an alarm for 7 a.m. You guys want to be up and be ready. Uh, Her- Harold, Harold Camping, that's the name of the guy, has calculated the May 21st date based on his reading of the Bible. Now, folks, I'd love to hear what his reading is and, and all that because I think Scripture teaches that we can't actually know the time. And that's the whole point of living in a state of anticipation. It's, it's the very idea that Christ could come back at any moment that keeps us, as I said, more eternally focused than worldly focused. So what about the anticipation? And, and it's not just the last part of the book of Revelation. Man, it, it's throughout it. So what about it? So what about the expectation? Like the anticipation, I think Christ's return should speak something to us about the expectation. I've got news for you. I've got expectations about, the, about what's going to happen. I don't know if any of y'all have noticed lately, but the world is a mess. According to Wikipedia, I looked it up this week, according to Wikipedia, there are 27 known wars or recognized conflicts going on right now today in the world. 27. There are terrorist attacks being plotted daily. Gangs are... Killing each other in cities all over this world. There are man made disasters. There are natural disasters. We're probably closer to a global economic meltdown than any of us cares to admit. The world's a mess. Now, listen to me. I'm not going to live in fear of any of those things. I'm not going to live in fear of any of those things coming to pass because my God is on his throne and his plans will be fulfilled. But I have expectations as a result of what I've learned from the book of Revelation. How about the expectation of the removal of the sin curse? How about that one? In, uh, in verse 15, I think it is. Uh, it says, outside, meaning not a part of the, of the kingdom of God, not a part of the new Jerusalem and the, the new heaven and the new earth. They're not allowed in. Outside are the dogs, not canines. All right? That was a biblical term used for unclean, unholy, living contrary to God's will for their lives. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. I think it's interesting. The very last sin mentioned in the Bible is lying. Because it was, in essence, uh, lying that was the very first sin of the Bible, when Satan came to Eve and deceived her. Lied to her by distorting God's word. Now, the list there is not meant to be exhaustive, that those are the people that are going to be left out. But it is speaking to us again, and we've seen this, by the way, if you've been with us several times towards the end of the book, these lists, hadn't there? Of, of who was, was being cast into the lake of fire, who was not going to be allowed into the eternal city, who was not going to be allowed into the, the, the new heaven and the new earth. We've seen several of these lists. It, it's, it's not meant to be exhaustive. It's simply saying that you can't live your life any way you think you want to and then think it's okay with God. It's, it's not. It's not. I'm looking forward to the removal of the sin curse. I don't even know if I can get my mind around the idea of no more forever, no more badness. I don't even know if that's even a word. No more badness. No more corruption or disease or death. No more loss or separation or or heartache. No more tears. We've already talked all about that. No more enemy. And all that that goes with the sin curse and its consequences removed forever and i i live with an expectation of that i live with an expectation of not only the removal of the sin curse but of the restoration of paradise in uh, in verse 14. We saw this, you know, at the beginning of chapter 22, but here again in verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. In other words, who have not themselves, but they've come to Christ. They've been washed, spiritually speaking, in the blood of Christ. And so they're, they're considered clean and adopted into the family of God. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Uh, we saw again last week, we talked some about the comparisons of the paradise in Genesis 1 and 2 and the paradise that that is revealed in Revelation 21 and 22. Listen, Adam and Eve had it for a little while. You and I will have it forever. It's the restoration of paradise. It's, it's bringing us back to the place that God's intent was for his people. And we talked about that last week and, and what it means to... To, to be in that place for eternity and all that goes with that, but to, to live in this place of absolute paradise. Now, when you hear something like that and you read this description, and if you've been, especially in chapter 21 and 22 in this description, man, I don't know, is it sometimes possible to, to say, wow, you know, I hear you, Clay, and I, and I want to have faith, but, but man, that, that almost just seems too good to be true. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, can it, can it really be all of that? Have you ever gone to see a movie or a restaurant that somebody has recommended to you? You ever done that? I mean, they talked it up a blue streak, you know. They're like, oh, you just got to see this. It's the greatest movie in the world. You got to go to this restaurant. They have the greatest this, and that's awesome. And they, and they talk, you got go to go this, and you got to do this, and you got to experience this. And, and then when you went, eh, it wasn't all that. Because somehow the reality didn't measure up to the expectations, did it? Listen to me. Not so with the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. You and I could talk about it for the rest of our lives. And when we get there, it will still far exceed anything that we could have possibly imagined. But how do you know? I mean, how do you really know it's true? I'll tell you how I know. Because God's word says that it's true. And God's word is true 100% of the time. Hundreds and hundreds of predicted prophecies in this book. Every one of them that has been fulfilled up to this point, every one of them have been fulfilled with absolute, complete accuracy. Some of them with such detail that there's no way that it could have been contrived or, or manipulated to be true. Every time God has spoken of future events that have already been fulfilled, they've come true 100% of the time. I want you to watch a, a short little video uh, by, from a man named Hank Hanegraaff that will kind of explain some of that. Watch this.
2: Predictive prophecy. The Bible is replete with predictive prophecy. And some might say, well, so what? Well, the so what is this, that it stands alone as a religious book that is replete with predictive prophecy prophecy. The Quran has some supposed prophecies like Muhammad is going to return to Mecca, a self-fulfilling prophecy that he fulfilled in his own lifetime. But that's very different from the kinds of prophecies you find in Scripture. What 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 about Nostradamus, though? Well, if if you look at Nostradamus, any critical person looking at that realizes that there are vague generalities that fit a number of circumstances very different from the kinds of prophecies you find in scripture first of all you have since Jesus Christ is the Living Word of the New Testament the culminating theme of the Old Testament you find that there are a lot of prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ Uh, there are various numbers that people assign to the number of Messianic prophecies some of them are duplicated in various books of the Old Testament and so forth but let's simply support the fact that you can find 30, 40, 50, even 100 very significant prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, it is prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus Christ would be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem. That Jesus Christ would be crucified with criminals, that his hands and his feet would be pierced. Which is kind of interesting in itself, because here you have a description of crucifixion in the Old Testament, a thousand years before Jesus Christ is crucified. And actually, when this prediction is made by David in the 22nd Psalm, this is 400 years before crucifixion is even invented by the Persians and later popularized by the Romans. So you have Incredible. here predictive prophecy that validates the details. And, and the, the kind I you're mean, born of a virgin. How are you going to pull that off? Uh, so you have <laughs> so these. So couldn't, Jesus couldn't have maneuvered his life to intentionally fulfill these prophecies. Make your, and Because, I mean, it says in Zechariah 9.9, 9, it says that the, the Messiah is going to come in on a donkey. Into Jerusalem. So, couldn't Jesus have said, Hey, guys, I, I, need, I, I, a wanna, yeah, I need a donkey. I want to fool people and think I'm a Messiah because I'm really anxious to be tortured to death here. So, go get me a, a donkey so I can do that. Couldn't he have maneuvered to fulfill a lot of that? There business? are some things that Jesus Christ might have maneuvered, but when you look at the cumulative case, you can't. I mean, how are you going to make yourself. A descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, born in Bethlehem, crucified with criminals. You got soldiers gambling for your clothing. Your hands and your feet are going to be pierced. You're going to be buried in a rich man's tomb, and on and on it goes and Daniel I mean,
1: prophecy is about the timing.
2: Ah, I mean this is incredible. You look at Daniel, that's a great example. Daniel actually prophesies the exact time that Jesus Christ would live. In fact, the prophecies in Daniel make it very clear that Jesus Christ would live prior to the time of the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., so... Uh, Yeah, I mean, not only that, but Daniel prophesied the progression of kingdoms from the Babylonian Empire to the Medes and the Persians to the Greeks and the Romans and so forth. And and, and, and with such accuracy and precision that secular skeptics have said, no way could this have been written in the 6th century, had to be written in the 2nd century, which really doesn't help much because you don't have Rome coming into prominence until after that. How do you know it
0: wasn't written later? How, How do you respond to that? Challenge.
2: Well, this is a challenge that people make, but they have to provide some details and documentation that this was redaction, that this was editing or insertion that was done after the fact, and all the evidence points in exactly the opposite direction. For example, uh, we're talking about Daniel. Well, it is predicted in Isaiah that Cyrus, who was the king of Persia, was going to come into prominence. And he would be a world leader who would have all kinds of responsibilities that are communicated
1: in Scripture. His name is given 150 years before he even comes to prominence. That's how I know it's true. That's just one of the ways that I know that it's true, by the way. But it's the accuracy of God's Word. And if everything that he said prior has come to pass, I have absolutely no reason to doubt that everything that he's promised for the future will not also come to pass. I have the expectation of the restoration of paradise. There's one other expectation. How about the, the expectation of the reward for faithfulness? Again, in, I think in verse 12. See, I'm coming soon, and my rewards are with me to repay each one just as his work has been. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes people are like, oh, I, I don't think we should want rewards. Well, I don't know. I mean, God sure seems to talk a lot about them. Uh, More than a hundred times in Scripture, the noun reward or the verb to reward is used. Not to mention all of the other passages of Scripture that imply rewards without actually using that word. God's word is full of it. Let's just look real quickly at just a few verses. Uh, Matthew chapter 19. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. Sound familiar? We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Now, Peter, what are you doing asking that question? Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's a specific promise to to, to those disciples. And everyone who has given up and everyone. Now, who's that? And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Matthew chapter 25. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. This is the parable of the talents, but it's this principle that, that you see. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 1 Corinthians, which is a great passage having to do with that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And then 2 John uh, verse 8, watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you receive your full reward. Based on God's word, I don't think it's wrong to have an expectation that God someday is going to reward you for your faithfulness to him in this world that fights so much against him. Now, I'm perfectly happy to leave the rewards up to God. I don't, what, what does that mean? What all that will be? I don't know. But I know God, and so I know it will be good. And I'm okay leaving that with him. But again, that expectation reminds me, listen... This, whatever I may or may not achieve or attain in this world, it's all going away anyway. Uh, to, to borrow a line from, uh, uh, to steal a line really from Proximo uh, in, in Gladiator, it's all shadows and dust, Maximus, shadows and dust. It's all going away. But the rewards that we receive in eternity will be forever, ladies and gentlemen. And I have that expectation in my life. Uh, real quickly, uh, let, me, let, me just, let me just ask you this one more. So what about the invitation? Verse 17 says this, And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost just like God. From Genesis to Revelation, it's just like God. From Genesis to Revelation, he's been offering this invitation to come to him, to come and experience him, to come and enjoy him, to come have relationship with him as his child because of his payment that he made for your debt And still here at the very end of the book, God is still ushering this invitation to anyone who would read it down through the years. And and no doubt millions have. And they found this invitation. Come, are you thirsty for life, for real life, for forgiveness and redemption? Come, take the water of life without cost. What about you? So what about you? Have you taken God up on his invitation for pardon and forgiveness and redemption? Have you taken God up on his invitation to join him in relationship, be adopted into his family, and receive the promises that he has for you in eternity? Have you taken God up on his invitation to join him in experiencing life to its fullest by saying in 2011, this is it. I'm selling out, I'm burning my ships, I'm following Christ and come, come hell or high water, no matter what he, the enemy throws at me, I'm going with God. So what?
0: He who testifies to these things says yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Revelation chapter 22 verse 20. It's exciting to think about, isn't it? No one knows for sure when it will be. But what confidence we can have as followers of Jesus that God's promises will be fulfilled just as He has given them to us. And what wonderful news it is to find that, as Pastor Clay talked about in today's message, God is still offering His invitation to anyone who would come to Him. Have you made that decision? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you taken God up on His invitation? If not, we'd love to tell you how you can do that. You can contact us by email at info at crossculturelife.org or visit us online at crossculturelife.org and click on the contact button in the upper right-hand corner of your screen. A member of our staff will be happy to answer your questions, take time to pray with you, and share with you the love of Christ and the gift of His salvation. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk.